Hey, everybody. Hello. Before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Do it, fools. Mm. <laughs> review, you fools. <laughs> Um, We have a review that we got last week that we'd love to shout out. If you review us, you will get your very own rating on our Badass Lady Meter scale. So... Beep-boops rating. What are you waiting for? (laughs) The rating robot. Rating robot. (laughs) Rating robot. What's your rating for this review? 0011000001. Okay, I got rid of the rating robot. It's just me and Madeline again. Um, This review was left by... Looch. Looch. <laughs> I think maybe this right pronunciation has an exclamation point at the end. Looch. So I'm into it. Thank you so much for the review. We really appreciate it. Your badass lady meter rating is YA fantasy being appropriate for every age. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, you can Looch. find us on Apple Podcasts and any other podcasting app that you use. We're really on all of them. If you find one we're not on, let me know. And, and we'll get on that. it. We'll get on it. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Mr. Monday by Garth Nix, the first book in the Keys to the Kingdom series. Which we have never read. I mean, we read this book for this episode. This is a unique episode because it is covering a book that we had not read before, that we hadn't read when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a listener request by Marina. Thank you, Marina. We love listener requests. For the request. If Continue anyone, to make them. If anyone has a request, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com or get in touch on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. What we do is we spread out all the listener requests on the ground and then we see which one of them Grace's cat rolls on first. That's the one we pick. It's a scientific method. <laughs> um, and since it was requested and we love Garth Nix's Old Kingdom series so very much. We, near and dear. We near were intrigued. Dear. We have never read his uh, book, his other books, his mm-hmm. other series. Um, so we wanted to try this out. Yeah. This book was published in 2003, um, which made me realize just how prolific Garth Nix is. I mean, this he was, writes so many books. This was published the same year as Ab Horson, and he was working on this series in the Old Kingdom series concurrently, as well as his Seventh Tower series. Um, yeah, how pretty does he incredible. Keep it all straight. It, it's pretty incredible. I can barely like <laughs> keep straight the meals I've had in one day. What did I eat for breakfast? Huh? <laughs> did I eat breakfast? <laughs> Um, so we do in every episode thoroughly spoil the book. So if you haven't checked this out and you're interested, definitely go read it first. We're going to start off with a quick marketing breakdown just to discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. Um, so as I mentioned, this is the first in a series of seven. And I noticed inside the cover that all of the books in this series have a different key on the cover correlating with the figure slash day of the week that is responsible for holding that part of the house. Did not notice that. Um, well, you re- you read an audiobook, right? Oh, yeah. And the, the so, uh, version that Grace Limited is- visual component. 
Let's, let's not, enough of that. Your, your sass, your truths. So the, the version that Grace is holding is way cooler, the cover, than the one that I listened to the audiobook of. Like, I didn't like the cover at all. I thought it was not great. And We'll put it up on our website. Um, but the one that Grace is holding actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, so this cover, I think, is very much in trend with the types of YA and middle grade fantasy covers that are being produced right now, um, where there's a lot going on, like a very intricate background. It reminds me a lot of Tamara Pierce's new editions. That one straight up um, just looks like a tattoo. So I, I do, I, I think this is very compelling. We also have a note on the cover that it is a New York Times bestselling series, um, which I didn't know. I wonder what the sales of this series are like compared to The Old Kingdom. Um, it's interesting because until Marina so wonderfully sent this request to our inbox, I don't think I'd even heard of The Keys to the Kingdom. No. The first book did come out while I was in high school, so I think it came just a little too late for me, especially mm-hmm. since the reading level is a bit younger than the Old Kingdom it's books. targeted at a younger... Um, yeah, and I think the Old Kingdom books is, I mean, much much more... It's firmly YA, and this yeah. is middle grade. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I just missed it. Yeah, I didn't. And I mostly only read books that Grace brought into the house because Grace was so good at bringing books into the house. There were a few that I, you know, picked up at book fairs and stuff. But yeah, I was just the little, the, I don't know, the tick. <laughs> a literary tick. The, and, the and you know, you're not a parasite because I was happy to share. So we'll come up with a better analogy. Like one of those those shrimp that go in your mouth and... <laughs> This is just I really worse. don't like thinking of you as my mouth shrimp. <laughs> um, also, 2003 was right around when you were really getting heavily into manga, right? Yes. So and I actually, you would not have been reading. I actually wrote fantasy. down on my notes, there's a, like, this series reminds me of a manga series because there's yeah. so much going on and there's all this, like, theory of life and mm-hmm. pseudo-religious and like pulling in from myths of many different backgrounds. Yes. Um, like it, a wonderful mishmash of different traditions. Which is very, very manga. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in particular, I was thinking of this one I read called Angel Sanctuary. It's it's visually a, a really, really cool manga. It's one of the most visually beautiful I've ever read. Um, and it's... Super complicated and it's really long. Like it's 20 plus volumes uh, and it's all about like angels and they go into hell and into heaven and they're just like all reborn and all this stuff. And it's a lot like sexier (laughs) manga-ish than this, but it reminded me of it when there's like so much exposition and just talking about the world and like putting all that in there. Like more and more with each succeeding scene rather than, you know, having a little bit of exposition and then lots of um, character dealing. Yeah, interesting. And this is the first book in a series, so we've never read the rest of them, and it's probably likely that uh, Garth Nix turns more to character development and emotional themes like in subsequent books. I do feel like we didn't do our homework to some extent we by read only more than one, covering maybe. one of these books. <laughs> yeah. um, 
But, you know, this is our podcast model. Like, we try to keep things simple and just do one book per mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Um, but just kind of as a disclaimer, I'm not really comfortable evaluating Keys to the Kingdom on this, the strength of this book alone, because um, Madeline and I talked about it a little bit it a little bit and it's almost wholly exposition because there's such a complex world that mm-hmm. Garth Nix is setting up. Right. And this, um, there's six more parts. Yes. And you know, we're still going to discuss this, still going to dive in, but I have to say my favorite parts of the book were the very beginning and the very end, um, which I think is very telling that I, I should continue to explore the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, because when it became Tuesday and the phone rang at the very end of the book, I was like, okay, now I feel like something bigger is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and was, like, this is a lot of setting up in this book. Yep, exactly. A lot of table setting. Incredible world building. I mean, Garth Nix is... Very, very talented. I've, I found a, like certain parts of his books, I kind of was <laughs> laughing to myself a little bit. I mean, like, I feel like this is just some Garth Nix flexing. Like, totally. Look at these horrifying monsters that I created I off the cuff that only like are in a few pages, or you know, look at this super complicated thing that I just created and put in here. It reminded me a lot of the Claire's Glacier mm. and especially the library. Yeah. Um, which, you know, ugh. hand also, to heart. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I love Lyriel so much. This is probably my favorite Garth Nix book. Besides reminding me of a manga, it also reminded me of uh, a JRPG. Yes, I was going to say that too. Yeah, because, yes. of, and it feels more like a world that was created for you to like run around in, mm-hmm. which is probably what happens in further books mm-hmm. because you get a lot of the scenery and the set building in this book and it does feel like okay if this were a game I would be like getting to run around and explore and like find out little pieces and like find pages of the lost notebook that like reveal the story yeah I know it felt like such a cruel joke when the atlas the thing that the only thing that clearly explains what is happening is lost (laughs) at the beginning of the book just like life. I know. I had this moment of like, oh, I'm going to remain confused. Um, yes, it reminded me quite a bit of Nino Kuni, The Wrath mm. of the White Witch, um, which is a JRPG that mm-hmm. I love. Um, and uh, I fully 100% agree with you. Yeah. But we're getting off track. Let's finish. Um, well, we did old and new impressions, kind of. Yeah, we kind of already did. In, <laughs> we're doing our segments out of order. So sorry if this is your first episode. In this case. Please listen to the was, rest of our podcast. was just first impressions because we don't New know. impressions. Yeah. That's right. Um, so I, I'm not even. I'll read the Wikipedia summary. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Usually we read the back of the book and then we provide our own little humorous and light plot summary. But. Honestly, we struggled to keep everything in order when we were trying to talk through the plot. So I'm going to give a Wikipedia-supported plot breakdown. So this book, and we think the entire series, is about a 12-year-old boy named Arthur Penn Halligan. It is. I read the rest of the Wikipedia page. Okay, great. Um, he becomes aware of a another world, um, another like force of life and law that is coexisting with the human world and also controlling the human world. You're just not reading the Wikipedia summary at all. Arthur is 
adopted. He lives in a large family. His mother is a doctor. His dad is a washed up rock star. Um, he is severely asthmatic, which is a running thread throughout the book because this limits his physical abilities. Um, he becomes aware of this other world because a strange figure appears while he's having a severe asthma attack and gives him a key of sorts. From that point on, things just really get wild. He starts seeing all kinds of strange creatures, these dog-faced men who appear to be hunting him. Um, With the key, he's also given a book, an atlas, that gives him some information about this other world. At the same time, a strange plague begins to afflict the suburb in which Arthur lives um, and his school, and he is realizing that it may be connected to this other world that seems to have just burst into his, up till that point, ordinary life. His parents died of a plague when he was young, of a flu, um, and so he is especially frightened by by quick-spreading and fatal illnesses. Arthur decides he needs to write this, he needs to figure it out. A strange house appears in the neighborhood where he lives, and he is made aware that he needs to venture into the house. He does. He goes on all sorts of adventures, realizes that the key that he has belonged to someone named Mr. Monday, who is complicit in breaking the will, capital capital W, that was created by the architect that built the house and all its worlds in the first place. It's complicated. <laughs> we'll talk more about this as we discuss the book. He goes through a series of areas in the house of, you know, they feel like different worlds because they're connected to different times in human reality, which is called the secondary. The secondary realm. The secondary realm, um, as well as this other magical greater realm. He meets a companion named Susie Blue Turquoise, who is a very interesting little girl who was also brought there from the human world at some point, but who has been brainwashed and um, kind of tricked into doing manual labor and just subsisting there. Um, The world is governed by written word and by papers and decrees. um, And that is, it seems like bureaucracy is the name of the game and it's bureaucracy that doesn't work very well. Um, So throughout all this, there's great disorganization that adds to the general confusion for both Arthur and for the reader (laughs) as to what may be happening. And for the grace. (laughs) And for the grace and the Madeline. Arthur ultimately is able to confront Monday to retrieve the other half of the key and when he does so, he defeats Monday and he becomes the steward of the lower house, which is Monday, Monday's area. We realize there are six other forces, entities, people, whatever, who govern the other areas. And now he needs to continue on to recover the other pieces of the broken will so that it can be put back together and everything can be righted against this evil. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go back to his world. He wants to recover the pieces of illness that are affecting everyone and put them out and back into the other realm. Um, So he does that and he appoints others to act in his stead as the 
steward of the lower house, but with him, he takes a telephone so that they can contact him if need be. And at the very end of the book, the telephone is ringing. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so that's a super quick, fast, and loose summary. No, that was really good. That Mr. was Monday. way better than what I was going to come up with. So thank you, Grace. I owe you two summaries. <laughs> I'll be cashing in soon. I'm just going to approach you on the street or at your job. I'll show up and be like, summarize a book for me, baby. I'll be ready. <laughs> so as we said, this plot moves quick and there's a lot that happens. Um... The description of the world is a bit tricky to follow, in part because we're learning everything through Arthur, and he is a child who is doing his best. Um, I mean, he, we'll talk about him as a hero, like main character in greater detail, but he does do an admirable job of just trying to move forward and resolve the series of unfortunate events. (laughs) It's been set in place. I can't believe I just said that series name because this also reminded me of a series of unfortunate events because of the title conceit. Mm, um, okay. The the books are called Mister Monday. Oh, I can't find it. There's a there's a picture right inside. Ah, the books are called. Mr. Monday, Grim Tuesday, Drowned Wednesday, Sir Thursday, Lady Friday, Superior Saturday, and Lord Sunday. And I believe each person and book correspond with a different vice. And this one is... It's it's a different deadly sin. Yeah. And this one was sloth. Yeah. Which is why Mr. Monday is always laying on his lounge or like in a steam bath. (laughs) He was pretty funny. Sleepy guy. (laughs) I did appreciate him. Um... So yeah, that did remind me of a series of unfortunate events. And again, very, very manga, very anime to have Mm -hmm. like the seven deadly sins interwoven with different characters. But then there's so much of Garth Nix's own invention that goes into the way the world works. And I like learning about the history of the architect who is a woman. (laughs) I noticed that right away. I was like female pronouns for the god and the creator. I'm into it. Um, And about exactly what happened with especially the old one, who I found to be probably the most compelling character in the book. Um, His Prometheus in his punishment. Yes. But we don't know in this series, what it is that he did to thwart the architect's plans. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I'm not going to tell you. But we don't know from this book. because it's not relevant. (laughs) And he is very wise and very powerful, but very long-suffering and has to have his eyes hacked out every day. It was formerly his liver, so who knows what's next. Which was Um, Prometheus. He was getting his liver eaten out by an eagle every day. Yes. This, This was really creative um just like the form of his imprisonment because it also involves clocks and time which are very important um in the way this world works and also in the way that power is kept and held um the opening passage which is about how the peace of broken will is being kept safe um 
is amazing. I At first, I was actually struggling to comprehend what was happening. I think it's just because I was surprised <laughs> that is how this series begins. Um, but I did remember that with The Old Kingdom 2, Garth Nix started it with the framing of the abhorsen of Sabriel's father. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. And like him around a fire with some other I can't remember Wasn't he the like details dying? now. It was the end of his life. Yeah. Um and so I yeah, put my put myself out of that. I, I think too I was I knew that this was intended for a younger audience and while it is in terms of like dialogue and structure, I think the plot is still very complex. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it gets simpler to understand as you get more information we're still really with Arthur who's like wait I read two pages of the atlas and then I lost (laughs) and then a bunch of people who maybe were trying to help me maybe were trying to hinder me fed me tidbits that may or may not be true I appreciate his skepticism Mm -hmm. of everyone because I feel like a lot of times protagonists are way too trusting and there are also great moments when the will, for example, is like, okay, all you need to do when you find the other hand of the key is recite this two paragraph speech while pricking your finger with the tip of the key. Step, step <laughs> three, draw the rest of the L. <laughs> and at the end, the will is like, do you understand? And Arthur just says, no. <laughs> and he and keeps the will smoking. is a frog too, which I like. I love little cute little frogs. I love the will as a frog. I love the idea that the will hops into people's throats and possesses them so that it has a larger voice to use. Um, And that in the end, the will becomes a fascinating woman who says, well, I'll use this frog as a brooch. It helped me along the way. I'm um, a frog brooch. That's, I know. That's going to be my too. next Etsy search. A little jade frog, too, as they said. A jade frog brooch. Um, <laughs> Madeline is Etsying right this moment, which is not responsible. We need to continue I'm the podcast. Attention. Okay, so as I was saying, it's complex. I think that's why I got a little tripped up at the beginning, but I absolutely adore the drama of the prologue. Um, so I'm just going to read one paragraph quickly. After discuss, oh, yeah. This is after they discuss how the will could not be destroyed, so they broke it physically, scattered it across space and time, and then also broke it in spirit. And this is how they stored the fragments. The first and least of the fragments was fused inside a single clear crystal, harder than diamond. Then the crystal was encased in a box of unbreakable glass. The box was locked inside a cage of silver and malachite, and the cage was fixed in place on the surface of a dead sun at the very end of time. Around the cage, 12 metal sentinels stood guard, each taking post upon one of the numbers of a clock face that had been carved with permanent light in the dark matter of the defunct star. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) What is that up? And I was also thinking this might be more of a sci-fi book at first, too, with Mm -hmm. the prologue. Yeah, Um, I think it will. It reminded me a little bit of Time City. Yeah, this reminded me a lot of yeah. Tale of Time City and of Diana mm-hmm. and Jones in general because there's the interplay between a fantasy world and reality and also the way that the two worlds imprint on each other and affect one another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the frequent passing back and forth between um, there being... I feel like Arthur is going to become a Crestomancy type character. Yeah. Um, and the way like he's like is jumping just, around baby Crestomancy, essentially. Yeah. I really liked the visual of the Sentinels moving around the clock and then 
the uh, inspector coming to check on them and yeah. uh, having his little sneeze accident that allows the world to escape. Yeah. Um, and we, we get so many good touches of what's to come there, like the strange outfit that the inspector is wearing yeah. and like how proud he is of his snuff. Because in that realm, all the material things that people have seem to be very, very difficult to acquire um, and also seem like they may come through the secondary realm in some way. Yeah. We don't really know quite yet, but but it seems like it's all, yeah, like a thrift store. Like there's no means of creating new things other than writing. Yes. So let's talk about the characters a little bit since we've, we've discussed some of the world building, at least what we understand and know up to this point. So Arthur is both... I feel like he is both unique and also straightforward. He is the Mm -hmm. kind of protagonist that you would have in a fantasy book aimed at this reading of all. Yeah, he's he's young. He's has a weakness. He's an outcast. Yeah, although he's not like a downtrodden outcast. No, he just doesn't. First of all, he's a new kid at school, so there's that layer of difficulty. But Um, it's not like super bleak. Like he's ready to be able to deal with it. It's not like Nina in at the beginning of the So You Want to Be a Wizard right. series where she's mm-hmm. being violently bullied yeah. Um, to yeah to the point of yeah not not really knowing what mm-hmm. to do. Um, he's just kind of on the fringes, um, and I like that it's it's already clear that he's going to fall in with like the punks, the at punk school. kids, yeah, <laughs> who all have uh, weird hair and are only in the book briefly before disappearing again. I know, but I was you like, know they're at a school that has uniforms and yet they can have like bright pink hair. I know, that makes and no stuff. sense, but to it's me at all. it seems like it's in Australia probably because that's where Garth Nix is from, and there are also some terms and things that weren't immediately that okay familiar to me. They use there's a quadrangle mentioned in oh this yeah book. that's true um <laughs> which we've seen before and has puzzled us and is also the word that i liked to pretend meant a series of four books i was really the school really reminded me of the school where we both went for a while where i went to middle school st john's and you were there longer mm. um in like the way it was described. And also I think because I was a new kid, middle of the year there. So whenever I think about being a middle schooler in a new school that, yeah, I go right back to that, but I could also picture the school being destroyed when when it's set on fire. Um, I, we don't want to, we don't want the school to be destroyed. We don't want any children to be harmed or anything. No, 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 no. I'm St. John's was a bad place for me. I I wish when I was there that the school would have been safely destroyed while no people were no there. No one harmed. Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm not advocating for any um, violence. Yeah, something about just like the blocky buildings and the layout and the way it was described. I just like was picturing it happening to St. John's. So I don't know what that means, but uh, I guess I'm Arthur is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, and I mean that's part of the reason I bring up why it wasn't. Bleak, we are all Arthur. Why it wasn't bleak for Arthur because St. John's felt bleak for me. I just felt like trapped and outcast, and like there was no potential improvement in any way, shape, or form. Like I didn't feel like I had coping mechanisms, but Arthur seemed like he did. Yeah, and Arthur, he has a very specific and intense physical condition um, that kind of overtakes anything else because he 
has such severe asthma that he is regularly hospitalized with it. Um, and the reason that he gets the key in the first place is because he's supposed to die in that moment. He's supposed mm. to have an asthma attack so bad that he dies after trying to run around the town or whatever it is that they're right. a horrible gym teacher makes them do, which also reminded me of St. John's because there was a very bad gym teacher. There. Yeah, but he was never like cruel to me. I remember he thought that girls were physically unable to do like the same physical activity that he would expect of the boys. So he would often just put us in front of like an exercise tape while the boys went outside. We actually were rarely allowed to go outside during gym. Oh, I did not. Maybe that changed. I did not experience that. Yeah, maybe he got yelled was, at. <laughs> that's what it was like for us. No, yeah. I All we did was sit in the locker room and didn't. do homework because we had no supervision, so... Oh, yeah. No, we we all did everything together in my gym. That's really funny. It was the same gym teacher, right? Yeah. The I re, I had a gym teacher at Oak School who was really mean to me. Like I remember I don't know, he in so the Oak School gym teacher was horrible. Yeah, and like parents really liked him and stuff, but he seemed like an alcoholic jerk and I remember once I came in with mud on my shoes and I didn't think about it. I was like eight and younger than that. And I remember that he started freaking out at the class like someone tracked mud into my gym. And I like looked down at my shoes and I realized it was me. And I like really meekly raised my hand when he was like screaming at all of us. And he was like, go sit on the stage. You're out of gym class for today. And I just like sat up there trying not to cry for the rest of the gym class. Like I was a small child. Yeah. It wasn't my fault that my shoes were muddy and they hadn't been clean. And imagine if I was like, you know, in my case, this isn't what it was, but that could definitely be like poverty shaming. For sure. And uh, I just, just thinking about it these days makes me angrier and angrier about how crummy he treated kids and like singled out and yelled at kids like that. Well, I hope you're not getting like angrier and angrier because it's nothing, you know, there's no like resolution to come from that. No, I just, I just feel like I got bullied a lot by kids when I was younger and I keep thinking more of the way more and more also, that, that I was- that gym teacher bullied everyone. So, no, I'm not I'm, saying. No, that I'm I just was... saying. Uh, I that's horrible. But but I'm just saying. Um, it wasn't that he thought you were like worse. That's all I meant. No, yeah, yeah. but I mean, like that doesn't matter. All I mean, I just keep thinking about how I got bullied a lot by kids when I was younger, and what really would have helped is if I hadn't also been getting bullied by adults. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of adults bully young kids, like Agreed. especially in a school setting. And it's really messed up, especially if the kids are already treating them crappy and you're also getting treated badly by teachers. And like, I was a really good student and like I did all my stuff and certain teachers really liked me, but even the ones that really liked me were still like mean to me because they just bullied kids and it's just, it's just messed up. I think this gets down to the foundational problem with the school system, the mm-hmm. public school system in the United States, as well as the private school system. Teachers are miserable, ways. so they take um, it out on the kids. Teachers don't make anywhere near the amount of money that they should. Um, they, they don't, don't even have a living wage. They don't have the resources that they need. They have to work impossible hours, and 
There are so many incredible, amazing teachers that changed our lives, shaped us, helped us in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I have very close friends and loved ones who are amazing teachers. Yeah, no, I'm not trying Um, to say that, like, teachers are all crap. No, no, I know you're not, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Dragon babies, we hate teachers. No, teachers are amazing and so important. They're the most incredible people. I mean, they're doing some of the most important jobs. I just feel like it is... With the least recognition. It is such a hard job with such poor compensation that if you get a person who isn't amazing in that job, then it's just going to warp them into a monster. Well, so let's take this back to the fantasy books that we read that mm-hmm. have, there's lots of bad teachers yeah. and um, bad mm-hmm. authority figures in a school setting. Like it's so baked um, into our cultures and consciences that it comes up constantly. That gym teacher at our grade school, the gym teacher at our middle school, like they're both bad in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one much more um, just neglectful uh, and the other openly aggressive. Like I can't count the number of times that I've felt emotionally abused like and singled out by him. Mm-hmm. Um, God, like especially gym teachers for some reason. I Yeah, and I'm thinking about the gym teachers in books that we've read yeah. too. Yeah. Um, the uh there's a again Diana we're Wayne not James we're not book. trying to generalize i have especially in high school i actually had some like really friendly chill gym teachers who yeah, me were too. really nice people liked what they did i think that that has to do with especially in fantasy books um the gym teachers are representing like a certain type of approval of your like physical ability mm. and in fantasy it's not just about how physically strong you are especially when it comes to a child protagonist who has special abilities um some kind of unique quest that they are meant to carry out like they're chosen in some way arthur is very powerful in his own way but because he can't run around the school and has a horrible asthma attack he's perceived as weak and mm-hmm. the teacher hates him yeah he um, sees him as like not human yeah exactly. like he gets disgusted with him for being sick and for being uh, disabled in a way that makes it not possible for him to run so i think that's why there is such a focus um on that type of authority figure as like an impediment or obstacle or just a bully Mm. in a lot of books we've covered. I'm thinking of Witch Week too, Mm. um, because there is a very mean gym teacher in that book. Do you remember? Yeah. And that book features a school that's just an absolutely horrible place to be because it's in a wrong reality. Like in a reality that shouldn't exist. So it's all bad, all a mess. Um, so very long segue to say that Arthur is relatable to us. Yes. <laughs> I, no, absolutely. Um, let's, let's talk about Arthur's relatability. <laughs> um, and I also have asthma, a very mild asthma. Um, but even just that feeling of not being able to pull air into your lungs and breathe fully um, is so frightening. Yeah. And asthma is terrifying. I One time we were hiking and we had to turn around because grace couldn't breathe very well anymore and she kept being like no no i'm fine let's keep going and me and just i were like uh we're we don't want you to die but we found wild blueberries and it restored our strength yeah, we ate them and then just i was like think about how many dogs have peed on those <laughs> after we ate them 
It's a fact of life. <laughs> We're all just eating dog pee. We're just pee. constantly eating dog pee. Anyway, Arthur is... Um, I, 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 that's why I said that he was both unique and straightforward. Like, he's the character with a weakness and whatnot. But I also like that... He doesn't have some kind of like special forewarned chosenness. Right, he, he just is so random. He just was going to die. He was going to die on a Monday. And that's why Mr. Monday was like, yeah, just pick that kid. He's about to die. I'll he get the he was right going back. to die on a Monday. He was young. As he said, he would probably have like a malleable mind. But but all it was was like the date and his age. Yeah. That is all that predetermined I, him to I be the love. hero of this entire series. Yeah. Um, and that's cool because that's it's helpful. totally a send up. Yeah. It's helpful for kids as opposed to being like, oh, well, yeah, this, like, maybe I can relate to this hero, but like, they were, you know, the child of the princess of the golden sun. And like, right. Or like, you know, that you, they're not, because everybody's different, but nobody's really like, special as in chosen one special and arthur doesn't even have his own magic it's mm-hmm. just the key yeah, that he key. has um and he just he's very determined yeah that's, he's that's dogged his, his strength yeah and that's what i always like the most it reminds me of um aaron from uh oh the hero in the, the crown in too the crown. yeah because she becomes Lady Aaron Dragon Killer. Um, but she does that just through like a ton of trial and error and experimentation and hard work. <laughs> Horrific pain. Yeah, I just I just read a really great um piece on Torah.com. Uh, I can't remember the author, but I did tweet it this week um just about why Robin McKinley's heroes are so relatable, mm-hmm. and it's because they're just normal people Mm -hmm. um and arthur is just a normal person Mm -hmm. and i really liked that yeah so we discussed that the key is the source of magic at least for arthur there are obviously other beings (laughs) entities that have a whole lot of magic of their own um but let's talk about the magic systems in this book um and the house itself because it's very fascinating. It's that fun sort of universe inside a small box vibe um, that I get very into um, in that it looks, you know, in the secondary realm, in the human realm, like just a ramshackle uh, buttressy wonder. And buttressy then, wonder. Buttressy wonder. And then you go inside it and you fall forever <laughs> into space. <laughs> um, so... It seems that the will is the driving force behind everything that is happening. It's hard because we don't understand yet, I don't think, where the magic has been coming from with the will imprisoned. Because there are clearly inexplicable means of traveling and existing and structuring the world. It's less of magic and more... And also the the will still is in power in a lot of ways because writing is what fuels everything. Right. I think it's just sort of more as I think of it as like the consciousness has been tethered and contained, but it's, it still has power through its subconsciousness. Yeah. They said the spirit and Mm -hmm. the physical nature were both broken. It's like the force, you know, the Jedi are the manifestation or something they can tap into it and then otherwise it's all over the place midichlorians except not midichlorians <laughs> except are, not midichlorians are dumb. <laughs> don't accept them um 
I think this will become clearer with future books, but like we talked about, it seems like the antithesis of the force is messy bureaucracy that's been put in place by the beings that were supposed to be protecting the will and upholding it. We don't know where the architect is. She left. Yeah, they it's just not, say that it's she not left. Discussed, clearly, I bet she's gonna be back. Though. I bet she's coming back at some point. I know what's gonna happen because I read it on Wikipedia. And Madeline's just full <laughs> of the smug knowledge that a Wikipedia reading can give you. It's a, it's a great high that Wikipedia <laughs> superiority. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's still all confusing. So I guess magic systems, the conclusion is just, yeah, it's there. We're not sure yet. Figuring it out. Yeah, I, it will become clearer. But yeah, every it's, I mean... I'm still intrigued, though. And yeah. like I said, the house uh, reminds me of the Claire's Library from Lyriel, um, which is a wonderful place that I would love to spend an endless amount of time in. Um, and it has fun effects like time working differently and you don't get hungry. Um, it's very hard to perish unless you're specifically attacked by the nothing monsters. Um, and then you just like fall into the void. Yeah. You just cease to exist. Um, oblivion. The monsters are also fascinating. Garth Nix is so good at writing evil beings. Um, yeah, De- like terrifying ones. Yeah, they reminded me a lot of the dead, not in any specific components of their creatureness, um, because they are very different, uh, but they give me the same feeling of terror. Yeah, of just like, oh, it's it's coming. Oh, no. Oh, it's coming. Get away from me. Yeah. Hide, hide. Um, and I think because I read most of the book this morning and I saw Jordan Peele's new movie, Us, yesterday, so I'm already like kind of Grace is spooked and titillated. Too spooked. Yeah, too spooked. Um, but yeah, I definitely felt, especially at the creature with the single red eye and the transparent eyelid and the limbs in a straight jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, what? No. Sounds like some I don't want stuff. that. Um, so yeah, he continues to be very, very good at writing horrifying things. Shall we... Uh, you know, I said something about not getting hungry... And uh, that leads me to want to discuss pretend food. I just can't stop thinking about butter pies. Not in this book. (laughs) I know, but it reminded me of Tale of Time City. And I have new thoughts on what a butter pie might be. We won't. I'll discuss it offline. Why do you have new thoughts? Because I want to eat it. (laughs) I don't know. No, I mean, what, what prompted your new thoughts? Because this book reminded me of Tale of Time City, and I kept thinking kind of in a humorous way, like, what are the really needs? It's a good old butter pie, and that would make him feel better. I agree, because he wants something to warm him up. And while we all know that butter pies are both hot and cold, it's the warm, creamy center that really gets you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need a butter pie, too. Um, a butter pie is like, a, what about if it was kind of like a mochi? With ice cream in the middle, and then in the middle, middle, there's like the gooey, warm, wonderful center. And then around the outside, instead of just straight up sticky, sweet rice paper, it's more like caramel. So when you bite into it, the ice cream like gushes. 
That would be good. So much saliva in my mouth. <laughs> okay, our listeners don't need to know about that. Um, yeah, so all of that uh, presents a predicament because there isn't much food at all in this book. Um, in the human world, we get like a mention of pizza that I never come to see. Yeah, the dad is like, <laughs> maybe we'll get pizza, pizza later. <laughs> it just feels like my, my life sometimes. Like someone's just saying, yeah, maybe we'll get pizza later. And then my little reptile brain is like, pizza, pizza, pizza. <laughs> Want pizza. <laughs> and then often the pizza doesn't come. <laughs> oh, Grace, you can always make pizza come. <laughs> I know, it's just, I don't, I, don't, it. I don't need to have pizza as often as I want pizza, is what I mean to say. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but the denizens of the house, while they don't have a need to eat or drink, there is a certain level of like vanity and luxury associated with being able to have your favorite treat from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the wealthy folks that are higher up in the bureaucracy and have access have things like Ceylon tea and sugar biscuits. Um, the old one, because he's special and powerful. He can make food happen. This is the most pretend food intensity that we yeah. get in the book. Um, he creates honey cakes and wine. Oh, honey um, cakes. It, there's a really funny moment in which Arthur, who is at that point is very hungry and cold and just wanting something to fill him up, sees the old one create that out of the ground. And then it's like, um, where did that come from? Yeah. Maybe I don't want anything. <laughs> And also, I was just screaming in that moment, don't eat the food because it's so obvious that there's going to be something bad that happens to him from eating the fantasy food. It makes him tired. It puts him to sleep. And if the old one hadn't woken him, his eyes would have been hacked out. So... Let's talk, let's talk about the honey cake, though. Yes. I love honey cake, but the only time I've ever eaten it, Mom, if you're listening, uh, it was your honey cake, Mother, who I'm speaking directly to and no one else now. Uh, what is Dragon Babies but a call to our mom? <laughs> no, seriously. A mom will love it. Our mom. Um, it's like this kind of pound cakey, I guess, uh, but very porous, and then it just has a ton of honey in it i can't remember if it actually has honeycomb or there's just more honey like a honey mixture with nuts and little crunchy bits on the top and it's so dense and just soaked with honey oh that stuff is good mom will you make it please um so much slime in my mouth again. oh stop <laughs> i said no the first time uh, yeah, I do wish that I could just say a poem about honey cakes and wine from the sun-kissed hills mm. flavored with resin from the crack-barked pine, which like sounds gross, but sounds really gross. maybe it's good. <laughs> I, I licked sap when I was a young yeah, kid. No, and, that, uh, I think we've all done that, yeah, right? Yeah, because it's like, oh, I it's have. probably sweet, right? But Yeah, you think that it's going to be like honey. Something, something maple like honey. syrup. <laughs> that it's just not good. It's really not like honey. Um, but yeah, I wish I could say that and a fissure would open up in the ground and then a little tray of cakes and wine would just come out. I also appreciate that Arthur manages to pour wine all over himself while he's trying to drink it. I, I feel that, brethren. And we get the line that it tasted horrible like licorice and burned his throat. So guess that resin isn't good <laughs> after all. It's probably like uh, there's a type of... Um, 
Arab spirit, and it tastes like licorice. I think it's called Uruk. I don't know. That's what that makes me think of. People really like it, but I hate licorice. So I, I had some when I was in Lebanon, and I was just like, Bleh. That's the only time you've had licorice? Not licorice. Uruk. Oh, I'm sorry. Grace. I'm sorry. You also hate licorice. <laughs> um, do you like anise or fennel? No, I don't. And people put them in everything. I cook with fennel a lot, so you won't be invited next time. I eat it anyways, Grace. The honey cakes were much better, although they were very sticky. <laughs> so we get about those. Just like mom's. They had piece of orange peel all through them and were soft and moist. I, I appreciate Although it. also the old one says that they're made of almond meal. Um, so gluten-free honey cakes, <laughs> anyone? <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, and that's really the best we get. We also get some details on the drink machine that Praveel has in his... Oh, it's a samovar. But it's a magical samovar that can make different things. But it, it's a samovar. A drink machine. Oh my god. Grace is we are so uncultured. She's never heard of a samovar before. We're really in that sibling uh, fight mode today. Um, fight, fight, fight. I do like the samovar, although it uh, releases a lot of kind of gross liquids and then some yeah. of it tastes vaguely like apples. <laughs> yeah, it did sound pretty nasty, actually. I don't want to live in a world where it's not necessary to eat or drink. I can say that much. Makes me sad. I would probably get up to some horrible criminal activities so that I'd be able to smuggle pizzas. <laughs> Just pizzas. Pizzas and ice cream. Uh, because well, because also, sorry to be a little gross, but Susie Blue Turquoise says that there's no need for toilets. So even if you have dietary issues that mean maybe you shouldn't eat as much ice cream as you want to, talking about a friend right now, of course, not myself, it would be okay. Uh, you don't create waste. Think about that. Which means you could eat as much as you want. That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll leave you guys with that amazing thought. And since I just mentioned Susie, let's move on to Badass Lady Meter. And um, talk about the one lady. <laughs> yeah. I Well, we didn't, we didn't get sure much of an opportunity to talk about her yet, but I really liked her character. Yeah, me too. And I think that in further books, there's going to be more of the... There are other female characters. Arthur's mother is like a plague-solving machine. Oh, no, yeah. And I can't believe that that same day, it was like, she's isolated the genetic <laughs> code. <laughs> like We know how to combat the virus. Yeah, no, there are other ladies, but I, what I meant is... She's the only fleshed out lady character in this book. Yeah. I'm I bet we get more from Leaf too. And I bet more from the mom too. Um, She's like a really from Emily. She's a super badass. Um and also the will is a woman form. I mean, I don't think gender is super important when it comes to gender sex comes to any yeah. creature in the house in a lot of ways. Like they're just choosing forms to be. But why so many of them choosing men? Why it gotta be men? I know. Um, no, I and just had it. Never mind. There's a lady firefighter that's specifically pointed out. Do you notice yeah. that? It's like Arthur looked at the smiling firefighter and noticed it was a woman. She and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> Women firefighters running from. No, just like, oh, new friend. Oh, and then yeah. they're like, no, don't talk Peace. to me. They're gross. I'm just kidding. I have lots of friends. Lots of friends. 
We're really um, bearing our souls in this episode unexpectedly. So those of you who are still with us, uh, thank you. And you you know a lot more about us now. I took my allergy pill like right before I came here. And I'm supposed to be taking it at night. And I'm just screwing it all up. So Susie Blue Turquoise, which is an amazing name for starters, um, is a little girl who was living during the bubonic plague and was brought to the house. By the piper. By the piper, who I'm kind of scared of. Um, No, it's like from the story. I know, but it sounds threatening, doesn't it? The story's frightening, too. I saw a great tweet the other day that was like, the Pied Piper is just a reminder that if you paid your freelancers, everything would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. Um, Susie was brought to the house during the bubonic plague. Susie is really resourceful. Uh, she's very scrappy. She's figured out a way to exist in this world, even as a lowly, what, sixth form ink filler. That's her job. Yeah, she's she's making it work. Um and I love that she says at a few different times things that make it clear that she's always like hijacking elevators from the adults and going to her happy place, which is the office that has a panoramic window into a prehistoric era featuring dinosaurs, Madeline. As soon as the dinosaurs showed up, I was like, oh, Madeline's going to be pissed. Did not like. <laughs> There's a T-Rex. Did not like. <laughs> Uh, T-Rex smashing things, um, but leaving the children alone. So it works out. Um, and Susie does try to return to her daily goings on and get out of the way of all this madness, but the will convinces her to remain and to assist and in key moments when it would be so easy for her to give to run away up and yeah. to run away. Mm-hmm. She um, maintains a level of sub, subter- subterfuge. She stays on board. Um, yeah. Like she lies about what the will looks like mm-hmm. so that it's harder for the Sentinels to find it. She's very um, fast on her feet. Yeah, she really is. I like Susie a lot and I love the description of what she's wearing. <laughs> like a wild mishmash really of clothes. Yeah. Um, and I also kept thinking about how fun a movie adaptation of this would be because the people would just look so absurd. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Also, it's kind of horrifying to think about all these children that were brought there, trapped there, have no one caring for them. No families are forced to work. And now Um, they've become like eternal, immortal. They're like indentured servants. Thriftless. Yeah. Yeah. Thriftless Um, indentured servants. It is it is very sad, and Arthur promises that he's going to get all of them out. Um, he wants to help. And so I'm sure that that will be a plot line, too, as we move forward. Um, so, yeah, it would be... I mean, I'm sure it will be pretty... F- it would be fast to read the rest of this series. Like, it is a quick read, mm-hmm. and I think the yeah. other books will probably be even quicker because we're not getting quite so much exposition about yeah, what the I heck am, is going on. I am curious about what happens, so I do want to read more of them my rating for Susie who is my badass lady is two pairs of perfectly matched socks Aww. one for morning and one for night <laughs> my rating for my badass lady who is the architect Ooh, is a controversial pick is uh, yes the architect is a she female pronouns Deal with it. 
Maybe we'll find out where she is someday. I think we will. That's that's my rating. <laughs> She's pretty much the gun in the first act right now. Chekhov's architect. Okay, I think that's everything for Mr. Monday. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Marina, for this recommendation. Um, We do have a long recommendation list. We're working our way through it slowly. Um, The next book that we're covering, we do have it selected, so we will tease it right now. Also has been, this series has been requested by quite a few listeners. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of it, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Um, the book we're going to be covering is maybe a controversial choice. It is The Silver Chair, which is the sixth book in the series, but it's my personal favorite. Deal and it. it doesn't have any of the annoying, yes, I said it, annoying main characters. So. And like less Jesus-y overtones. Uh, yeah, somewhat. Aslan is in it a little bit, but only a little bit. Jesusing it up over there in the corner. So we're looking forward to that. If you would like to make a request, get in touch with us, let us know your favorite pretend food or your favorite Garth Nix book, or tell us a little bit more about everything we missed reading Mr. Monday, get in touch. You can find us at dragonbabiespodcast.com, dragonbabiespodcast on Instagram, dragonbabiespod on Twitter, or just send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. If you could also leave us a review, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.